Welcome to the Open Door Cutting Room Floor Podcast, where we continue the conversation that started on Sunday to help you become more like Christ throughout the week. I'm your host, Clay Wright. Let's get started. Hello, and welcome back to the Open Door Cutting Room Floor Podcast. My name is Clay Wright, and it's good to be back here with you. And I met with... Charlie Miller. Here I am. Charlie Miller, welcome to the podcast. I'm here. Welcome to the podcast. You preached as well. So Thank you. I did. Yeah. So we we were uh we had in person preaching at each of our campuses this week. So mm-hmm. that means Charlie got to preach in Avon Lake. Uh I was preaching here in the Elyria campus where we're where we're recording. And we also had John and Jason preaching as well, although uh they said they were too cool for us. No, I'm just I'm just kidding. They had a lot of other stuff going on. So uh this is actually our second time just you and i on the podcast it's true i can't i think the last time that was that was before we were preaching monthly Mm -hmm. because i think i preached Mm -hmm. it was the last time i got streamed to all the campuses because i think pastor jim was out of town and so then you came i think this is the third time because i was on one other time when no other campus pastors could make it really yeah and then another time i interviewed you okay i know so i think other than jim i may be your most frequent guest you, Denver Daniel has been on oh, at least twice. I'm in the running for number two, though. Jonathan Abdul, dude, in the early days, have you gone, have you, have you listened to from episode zero? I haven't. Hmm. Let's see. You're not a true fan. I'm not a true fan. <laughs> Jonathan Abdul was on a couple times mm. talking about finances during the, um. Oh yeah. The adventure of trust. Yeah. The adventure of trust. Okay. Uh, so yeah, he, I think, I don't think he was on three times though. Maybe he'll have to preach sometime, mm. and then he can. That's right. You guys can have a. But I'm, we'll have a I'm up there in top five, maybe for sure. Yeah, I keep falling down. Not top two, but top five. Maybe. And so something that people might not know about you and I is Charlie and I. We we work together, obviously, but we uh, we also love to talk about the scriptures together. So I love doing this podcast with Pastor Jim, just because he and I mm-hmm. have like this really natural sort of mentor mentee relationship where I love asking him questions. But Charlie's another guy who I burp, burp in the mic. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Too many goldfish. <laughs> okay, <Yeah>. Carry on. <laughs> uh, Charlie and I talk about the scriptures a lot as well, especially like when yeah. we're getting ready to preach, we, we meet and we talk about things. So we have some similar sayings, like sometimes that will come up in our preaching, which is pretty fun. Uh, like, for example, this past week, we both were talking about scratching people's backs. <laughs> and there's uh, no yeah. history there yeah. between Charlie and I. Although, on on occasion, we will scratch one another's backs. That's right. Uh, but uh, anyhow, so why don't we start off like this? Why don't you just share? Well, maybe we can uh, read this, read the scripture that we were preaching out of just in case folks are tuning in and haven't listened to the sermons yet, which yeah. if you haven't, if you haven't, maybe you guys didn't know, uh, we actually have another podcast that we produce as a church where we post all of our sermon audio. Mm-hmm. So it's, I think it's called open church, of the open door sermons. We also post the sermons to YouTube. Um, mm-hmm. but if you guys are needing, needing to catch up and you like podcasts, that may be a, something for you to check out. But regardless, let's go ahead and I'll read the text that we were preaching out of or that we were assigned. And (laughs) I think you preached verses 35 and 36, didn't you? I did. (laughs) I I added them in last minute. Yeah. Which, But I I really, my, we'll get into it, but the earlier part was where I was getting most of my, you know, but for the sake of the context and the flow, I wanted to to continue through. Yeah. So. Yeah, so we'll, I'll, I'll read it, and then we can kind of share where yeah. we were at in the text. So we, we were starting in verse 31 of Luke chapter 6, continuing on in the in the Sermon on the Plain. 
uh, Jesus says, do to others as you would have them do to you. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. Hmm. And if you lend to those from whom you expect repayment, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners expecting to be repaid <clears throat> in full. Hmm. So, Charlie, where, where did the Lord have you as you were studying and kind of seeking things for for your congregation? Yeah, so we were our, – our focus, what, what Pastor Jim uh, gave to us was to think about loving – those who love us, uh, or those that I would consider our inner circle. Yeah. And that's kind of, if you see the graphic, the, the sermon graphic, there's circles about thinking about the different circles of friends that we have, our, our spheres of influence. And so we talked a lot about enemies, those that insult us. And now is a chance for us to think about those that are close to us. And, uh, so <clears throat> one of the things that I, you know, realize, and this was in our conversations, and I, I want to hear more from you on this too, but how Jesus was making assumptions, you know, mm -hmm. about his audience when he uses the language of, you know, if you love those who love you, what good is that? What what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. And he kind of goes to that whole list. It was, there was making some assumptions that, well, naturally people listening there would say, well, yeah, I love, of course I love those who love me. And what he's trying to say is, you know, we're called to do uh, as believers. We're called to, to a different kind of love, something that's not easy or transactional because loving those that love you, you're going to get something in return. Yeah. And so, because initially when you read that, you're like, well, loving those who love you, is it wrong of me to love my wife or my mom or my friend or you? Uh, well, no, the point is what, what's, what's, what's rooted deeply in that kind of love where you, where if I scratch your back, you'll scratch mine. It's transactional, right? Right. It's it's ultimately about myself. Knowing what I'm going to get in return frees me up to to do something for that person. And the love that Jesus is calling us to when he says love your enemies is the same love that he's calling us to for loving everybody, including those that are close to us. And that's a love that's not transactional, that doesn't have conditions, but is rooted in, in being an, uh, in unconditional love. It has a nature of being unconditional not a list of things. If you meet these, these, this list that I create or this contract, then you can love me. That's kind of where I went with it. Yeah. Um, and it was an interesting, really interesting study as I unpacked that. But, you know, you were the one that mentioned the assumptions, you know, talk me through some of that too, how you kind of worked through some of those. Yeah, man, I, actually. So the first thing that I realized, so the first thing that I struggled with, with the, with the text, mm -hmm. because, and, uh, you know, if, if Pastor Jim were here, because I talked with him about it a little bit as well, he would say the same thing, that Jesus is not making a statement about loving those who love you. Mm -hmm. he, well, he, I mean, he, he is in a sense, but in his broader point, he's talking about loving enemies. Mm -hmm. But even even at that, he's he's really mm -hmm. making even a broader point than that of saying love all people. Yeah. So so he's not directly because and the reason that we struggle through this as, as students of the scriptures is because we are always want to defer to the text. Mm -hmm. That's, you know, what, what Jesus was intending to say, that's what we want to preach about. And so when, when we're studying, we're like, man, you know, what is Jesus saying here? What's he intending to communicate? His intention is saying, is, is essentially love all people mm -hmm. and, and kind of giving some color and flavor on how to do that. And, uh, the, the thing, the first thing that I noticed in the text was that he summarized that in the golden rule. So I was like, okay, so the golden rule summarizes what Jesus means when mm -hmm. he's 
providing this ethic of love. Mm -hmm. And the other thing that really helped me to see that is comparing the parallel text in Matthew's gospel, because in Matthew's gospel, Jesus uses this as the conclusion to the Sermon on the Mount. Mm. Uh, and so I, I can't, it's like, I think it's in chapter seven. Um, but it's like his, I, in, in my sermon, I said, it's his mic drop statement. Like mm -hmm. he, he gives all this powerful, difficult mm -hmm. ethical mm -hmm. teaching. And it's like, here's, here's all of that. If you just need the spark notes version or the too long, didn't read mm -hmm. do unto others as you would have them mm -hmm. do unto you. Mm -hmm. If you, if you fulfill that, yeah. All the rest, but in this, I think he even says all the law, all the law and the prophets are fulfilled in this one statement um, or some, something along those lines. So that was kind of the first thing I noticed. The second thing I noticed was the function that verses 32 through 34 play in the broader argument that, that they're not a, a point in and of themselves. They're sort of like a foil to Jesus's main yeah. point, which is more about enemies or the, those who are difficult to love. So like in, li in literature, a foil character, it's only there to uh, provide contrast to or to support a main mm. character. Mm -hmm. And so in a similar way, Jesus is using this example where he's, he's making some assumptions and trying to expose the, mm -hmm. the weakness mm -hmm. of transactional love in order to support this unconditional love that can extend out even to enemies. And so mm -hmm. the the way that that assumption language comes in is if you look in the Greek, which actually I think I have a Greek New Testament back in those in those bins. It should be a blue hardcover book. Do you see what I'm talking about? It might be low. Yes, yes. No, no. Yeah, uh, there's there's a three there's three volume oh these right here. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Let's see. Yes. There it is. Yes. So the reason I want to pull it out is just because um, uh, I don't remember the Greek off the top of my head <laughs> for a, for a first-class conditional statement. But for if, you, if you've studied the Greek, which I know you have, you mm -hmm. know what, the, what I mean when I'm talking about conditional statements mm -hmm. and how there are different kinds. You know, in, in English... We use our inflection to demonstrate what we're assuming. So, mm -hmm. I, I like I might say, uh, you know, if if I say the statement, we all brush our teeth, or or if you brush your teeth, then you won't have gum disease. I'll use my inflection to demonstrate whether or not I'm assuming that you're brushing your teeth or not. So, if I say like, mm -hmm. if we all brush our teeth we don't have gum disease. Like mm -hmm. I'm, I'm sort of like assuming that yep. we do brush our teeth, but there's nothing in the language mm -hmm. that demonstrates that. Mm -hmm. Whereas in the Greek there is, uh, so you can demonstrate uncertainty or that you're assuming a positive result for the sake of argument. So when Jesus says, if you love those who love you in verse 32, it, in the Greek it's a begins it. And then, Oh, a, it, yeah, it's, it starts with A, and it uses the, um, like, it uses the indicative mood. So, whereas if it's using the subjunctive mood, it, like, th there's ways that you can, mm -hmm. that you can mm -hmm. tell in the Greek, which mm -hmm. <laughs> I'm, like, looking at, I'm like, hmm, I probably remember that. I probably remember <laughs> what that is. So, th that first statement that he makes yeah. is the first class conditional where he's assuming the positive. Mm -hmm. So that's mm -hmm. where that language of assumption came from. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. The other two statements are undefined, which yeah. I thought was interesting, but I didn't really dig into that a whole lot. Mm -hmm. So that, that's kind of where that came from. Which is true. I mean, in, in a sense. Right. Um, 
Yeah, but it's interesting. Like as you dig in, it, like the tension I was feeling with it, it was Jesus was making an assumption, but were they actually? If it's is it actually true love? Mm, if it's right. transactional, that's the tension I was feeling. Was if love is truly just if it's not unconditional, if it's selfish, rooted in our what we want for us, is that really love? And that's the the tension. Absolutely, and in addition to that. So Jesus is assuming that we're loving those who are close to us mm-hmm. and kind of exactly what you're saying. Like, is that a, is that a safe assumption in my life that I'm loving those who mm-hmm. love me or loving those in that inner circle with the kind of love that Jesus is describing? Mm. Um, and ultimately I know f- from personal experience, Hey man, there are days where that's not very safe. <laughs> There's not, that's yeah. not a safe assumption. Mm-hmm. You know, I, there was an illustration that you provided um, where you were talking about contracts, you mentioned it already, but can you can you give a little bit more detail on that? Because I want to make a comparison <clears throat> based off of that. Yeah, I had a notebook, and I just said sometimes, often what happens is those that are closest to us. Uh, I love the phrase "those are close to us get the worst of us" sometimes, mm-hmm. but without realizing it, we have contracts. And I, and I think one of the ways that you can this can resonate in your heart, and I felt this in the room as I said. You know, many of you that grew up in homes, you know what this was like when you you knew, you know, maybe an, an unhealthy environment, you knew that the there was some conditions to feel love. And if you didn't meet up to those standards for whatever reason, you w- didn't feel like you were loved. And it was like a performance-based love. It was a performance-based home in some regard. Um, and there are some families like that that really struggle. And... Um, kind of built from that but, but was ex- built from that point but was explaining that it's like we have contracts and we think about our spouse we think about if they do blank then i'll be able, able to show them love like or you can make it a you could reverse a statement and say well why would i show them love they don't respect me or why would i show them love they they don't give me a lot of time of day or why don't I? it's kind of reversing that thing but in the same way we say but if you flip that it's i will show you love if you do blank and right. it's like a contract we create. And often the people don't even know that contract is there. But uh, if they don't measure up to it, we struggle to say, okay, I'm going to love you unconditionally. There's, there's obviously conditions or things that they have to do or not do in order for you to show them love. Right. And so we, we have those yeah. contracts and we're handing them out to people. That was the analogy I yeah. used. And I, lo- I love that, get, just getting the chance to listen back to your sermon because it connected up with – something that I was reminded of as I was studying, which is this concept from a book called His Needs, Her Needs. Mm-hmm. It's a somewhat popular book for for marriages. We mm. got gifted three copies of it mm-hmm. when Joy and I got mm. married, <laughs> and we read at least one of them, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's a good book, um, and it's, it's, it's trying to raise up, like, hey, here are some needs that men have in the context yeah, of marriage. Yeah. Here are some needs that women have. And it, it's it's helpful to read, yeah, to, yeah, just yeah. to gain perspective, uh, you know, for, mm-hmm, for your mm-hmm, spouse mm-hmm. and for, you know, needs that the mm-hmm. other gender has, things like that. I, and in, in, in general, I would recommend the book. Um, I even use – there's a chapter out of it that I use at times in premarital counseling. Mm-hmm. But there's this concept in the book called the love bank, hmm. and I want to I want to describe it to you, and then let you you know just have a little conversation about it. So the idea of the love bank is that when you're 
filling the need of the other person. You're like, you're sort of, there are, like, there are things that fill up the love bank and there mm -hmm. are things that withdraw from the love bank. And so it's like you, you want to make sure kind of in the course of your marriage that you're not, you know, like notice when the love bank is low or like if you're, mm. you know, but, you know, hurting the other person or being inconsiderate of them, that's sort of like withdrawing from the love bank. Mm -hmm. But then when you provide for their needs and you're being you're more yeah. attentive to them, then that can fill up, fill mm -hmm. up the love bank. And so there are times where like, hey, we got to cancel mm -hmm. something last minute. Or, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry, I didn't tell you about that, but I have this thing going on. Like, that's fine, mm -hmm. but it withdraws from the love bank. Over a long period of time, though, if you're constantly, you know, uh, miscommunicating, yeah. you're constantly yeah. asking for forgiveness, you're mm -hmm. constantly doing these things, then, like, eventually, and, and I know that this is not what the author is trying to say, but he he tells all these story, stories about these affairs that happen because the needs are not getting met. Mm -hmm. And so the subtext is if you withdraw too much, there's a danger that those needs are going to get filled elsewhere yeah. that can lead to some really, sure. uh, sure. unfortunate circumstances uh, and, and sinful circumstances. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, so it's this idea that like there's a credit system that sort of like, and, and there are ways <laughs> that I think it can be a helpful analogy, but like how, how does that compare with the teaching that Jesus is providing in the text? And mm -hmm. is there, a, is there a contradiction here? Mm, interesting. Yeah, I've heard that analogy. I heard, I, ironically, I've heard it as the love tank. Okay. <laughs> That's the five love languages. Um, yeah. Dr. Chapman. Oh, yes. He okay. talks about the, the love tank, and he uses it like a gas tank. Where gotcha. Eventually, you're running on fumes. So it's very similar. Yes, yes. Um, you, you keep putting fuel in it so that you can keep going. And you can run on the tank alone for a while, but eventually you'll run out of gas. Um, I think uh, for me, and I'd be interested to hear your thoughts on this. Um, it's more of a conversation of, uh, it's less of a conversation of what you're called to do. And as far as sinning or not sinning, uh, versus creating an atmosphere or an environment that is conducive most for love. Mm. So, um, for example, if somebody is, um, is prone to violence or they get ang so angry that they hit somebody, right. And I, if I'm there, I can do th it, it's wrong for them to hit me, right? But I can do things in my life to provide an environment in which they are less prone to act out in violence. Um, whereas if I am constantly prodding them, if I'm constantly doing things that frustrate them, if I'm constantly poking the bear, and then they sin by lashing out in violence, in a sense, I haven't. Yes, they are. Uh, it, it's their responsibility not to sin, but I've created an environment in where that's very conducive. Like they, that will. It's you. You just go one plus one equals two. Okay, well that makes sense. Yes, you were creating that environment. <coughs> I think it's similar in marriage. Whereas, if we're not meeting our spouse's needs, if we're not um, loving our spouse well, there's not intimacy. All these things, then naturally, that's creating an environment, the perfect environment for sin to grow. And it's our job to be good cultivators of our relationship. And we don't, you don't want the soil to grow bad so bad things can grow. So for me, it's more about creating the environment versus the sin itself. Yeah. Um, it's being a good stewards of that environment of creating that safe place where you can. So that's the thing that's, 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 that's where I see the tension resolving in my mind because you're right. Like it's so easy to say, well, you know, he wasn't loving me, so I found love elsewhere. Or 
um, you know, he wasn't meeting my needs in some way. So I went and found that other thing and, and we validate that in big ways or in small ways. Um, and again, that becomes very conditional in some ways. The point is this, um, you got to view what Jesus says solely just at face value first. Jesus right. says to be unconditional in your love, love others. That's what he says. Love your neighbor, love your enemy, love those who are close to you, love. Ultimately, that is the common denominator that he's calling us to. There are obviously other com complicating issues and things that surround that, but it never validates. Like, n Jesus is never going to say, wow, like, you know what? You're right. That was so hard. You didn't have to love. You're right. Like, you know, you choosing yeah. hatred and, and anger. You know what? Like, that was oh, yeah. such a hard mess. resentment. Yeah, yeah. Like, of course you're going to be bitter. Right. And I hear a lot of Christians say that kind of thing. Well, like you kind of have a right to be bitter. Like what he did to you was so bad. It's like, but really do we though? I mean, yeah, it was terrible what he did to you. And by rights, it seems like you have every right to, mm. but God's economy is different than the world's economy. Right. And so that's why what Jesus is calling us to is radical. That's why he says those that love you, those that treat you well, those that get back to you, those are these things like, it, it makes sense when it's like, oh, man, it's just like this economy where you're giving to me, I'm giving to you, and, man, it, it, things are good. It's easy. Um, but the number of times I've heard that, like, oh, I, like I'm just going to be frustrated for this one time, or I'm going to be bitter, and, and if you knew what they did to me, you would be bitter too. And it's like, well, probably I would because I'd be sinning, but it's still wrong. Yeah, and I think that's the key. That's the key distinction is, like, when it comes to these relationships, I, I think it's fine – to, to teach about like the love tank mm -hmm. or the love make. I think it's a helpful concept. Oh, 100%. But when it starts to be, to become an excuse to withhold love, mm -hmm. that's where you've crossed the line. That's where it's gone from a helpful heuristic that encourages love mm -hmm. to a contract that we're sort of holding one another's feet to the fire. And I, I just think it's so, it's so natural for us to fall into, at least it is for me. I like, I know in my friendships, in my marriage, it's so easy to fall mm -hmm. into the, well, you know, they're not really doing what we talked about. And so that justifies my giving them the cold shoulder or that justifies mm -hmm. my being a little <clears throat> bit upset with them or chippy with them. It's like, no, it doesn't. It's like you're, that's, that's transactional. Mm -hmm ways of thinking but i do think it's for as a tool for for use for empathy of like understanding hey these are the sorts of things that the other person would really love that's where we're, we're what we're actually doing is answering the question if you were in their <clears throat> shoes what would you have them do to you mm -hmm. which is kind of the question that jesus poses in the golden yeah. rule so I, so i heard this, this heard this recently and this really has i've been chewing on this a lot so it's kind of undercooked but just hear me out sure Heard this in like a, I think it was like a the like marriage coaches Christian marriage coaches, but it was like a reel or something, yeah, on Instagram, and this guy said, "We need to stop only thinking about how I sinned against my spouse, and we need to start thinking about how have I allowed my actions to cause my spouse to sin." Hmm. And is even and we need to be willing to not only not sin but not do things that we know will cause our spouse to sin, and so for example. Uh, he'll give you two examples. If you have a spouse who's prone to gossip, okay, and you are freely sharing information that you know could serve as a temptation to become gossip for your spouse, 
you are in a sense enabling them, giving them the ability and 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 prompting them to sin. Yeah, creating an environment where Correct. it's it's yeah. If they are prone to anger, if you know, like you're not sinning, but you know that something you do causes them to become angry, why would I continue to do what I know will make my spouse sin? Even though I know that they need to grow in that area, you know, they need to grow in their gossip, or I'm just picking two, anger, they need to grow in their lashing out. Like, obviously, they're the ones that are in the wrong. They need to grow. But in the meantime, if I'm part of their sanctification process, why should I strive to be the catalyst to cause them to sin? Mm-hmm. And that's been huge for me recently. I've been chewing on that a lot, yeah. especially in my, my marriage. But thinking about that, all relationships, we should be thinking about, you know, how can, I, how can I be so gracious in my love that I'm willing to not only not hurt other people, but not even provide an opportunity for them to sin? This was a huge conversation for me in college because as a school, we all chose to give up certain things that were not wrong. Mm-hmm in order to create an environment where holiness was mm-hmm. more likely to happen. So mm-hmm. like, for example, for years, it was called the, so I went to Taylor university. We had this thing called the LTC, the life, the life together covenant. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you, you signed the covenant grace. Yeah. I went to grace college rival school, but Hey, don't I get mean, into that. Yeah. Crossroads. Um, League. But the, the LTC, <clears throat> It, it had all these, for a long time, like no dancing. Mm-hmm. It, like Taylor, back in the day, had a lot of rules like that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it was a dry campus, for dry example. Dry campus, for sure. No for tobacco us. on campus, mm-hmm. all that sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. And uh, the, the hope, the idea was not that, that they were saying dancing is evil, mm-hmm. drinking is Correct. evil, Correct. smoking is evil. They were saying, hey, for four years, we're going to give this up for the sake of... Mm-hmm. Of having a healthier community mm-hmm. and it, for the sake of pursuing excellence, for the sake of pursuing holiness. Yeah. And like, you know, when you gra- like, we're not, we're not necessarily, so like in the Life Together Covenant, they didn't tackle whether or not these were sin issues. They were just saying, we are striving to create an environment where mm-hmm. sin is less likely to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, and so like, we're not going to do these sorts yeah. of things. We're, we're all going to choose gladly as a community to weigh these downs and to set and to sacrifice them. Mm-hmm. Similarly, in, in marriage, kind of to what you're saying, we can, uh, we don't have to insist on our rights to behave however we want. We can gladly choose to lay down behaviors or lay down hobbies or lay down these things that yeah. are superfluous to our lives to honor our spouse and to mm-hmm. help to create an environment where love is more likely to, to thrive. Yeah, yeah, you're right. And you got to ask a question, like, what am I not willing to give up for the sake of love? Don't it's a great know. question to ask. Like, like, what is the one thing I'm not willing, like my freedoms, my rights, my, you know, my masculinity, my whatever, you know? And I think once you start boiling it down, like, am I truly li- willing, if God's called us to love people, especially people that are close to us, am I willing to give up? Like, what am I not willing to give up? Yeah. That's an interesting question to wrestle with. For sure. And I think right now we're we're kind of thinking more in terms of <clears throat> like how to produce healthy, like the healthiest relationships possible. But another thing that I'm thinking about and some questions I got asked mm-hmm. have to do with the really unhealthy relationships. Yeah. So, like, for example, hey, it's all well and good. And honestly, this is what Jesus is talking about. It's all well and good to be loving towards someone when generally they're having goodwill toward you yeah. or when you're not, you know, they're not going to turn it back around and take advantage mm-hmm. of you. But, like, what if I am actively being taken advantage of? 
can I not stand up for myself? Can I not, mm. are there, is there no room for healthy boundaries? Are all boundaries in relationships just sort of these manipulative expectations, <clears throat> these mm. strings attached? Is there ever a time when the, the relationship is so toxic yeah. that now I need to do something mm -hmm. that's not loving or I need to be less than, yeah, less than nice. So like, how, how did you, like, how do you think you would respond to those sorts of yeah i questions. i'll add another layer to it someone asked um what happens if i have a friend it's a toxic friendship how do i need to continue to be their friend right it's a great question to ask like are we called to be everybody's friend um is that what we're called to be and then like some people would accuse me I mean, you are some people would clearly. accuse me of like I either have people that I don't know or they're my buddy. I'm like, yeah, he's my bro. He's my buddy. Yeah, he's my friend. He's like, well, have you talked to him? I haven't seen him since high school. And they're like, dude, you graduated like 2011. What do you mean? You're not friends with him. Like, you don't even know him anymore. You know what I mean? Right. But like, I just kind of view everyone as my friend in a way. But they're not really my friend in the, in a sense of that we have a deep relationship. So the, the question is like, how do we love and how do we, if it's, right to have boundaries or classify people in our lives. One of the analogies that's always helped me is I have a ruler. I would have brought it today if I was thinking, but I take a ruler and uh, on the ruler, there are inches, 12 inches, if you didn't know. And uh, each friendship represents inches on a ruler, but the ruler itself uh, represents the time we have as a resource for relationships. We only have so much time. And so when you think about relationships that you're pouring into, especially friendships that you're really investing in, uh, you only have so many inches. You could have 12 really shallow, really shallow friendships. You could have two friendships that are like six inch friendships and then you have no other time, you know, for, for relationships. Um, and, and what happens is I think people like no one, people don't realize that they're like, you have a capacity for friendships and deep relationships. And how you, you know, there's some people that like know everybody, but they don't really have tons of deep relationships. And then there's some people they lean more towards like they have some uh, two or three really deep friends and then everybody else is pretty much an acquaintance, right? Right. And like there's some of this balance and that's totally healthy. That is totally fine. And that, and, and you can do that and still love people. Uh, it's important to understand though that, that you can, who you're letting invest in your life, who you're letting pour into you as you pour into them and in, in, in a it seems like it's transactional, but it's, but it's, it's just both of them are freely giving love and receiving love. And it's a very like, um, edifying relationship who you let in that place is very important. So a couple of things, um, and I'm, I'm rambling on, but I often think, um, sometimes in my life I've had friends who take up a lot of inches on my ruler and it's, it's become toxic and unhealthy. And so I had to take steps to say, in order for me to love you, truly, in order for me to love you well, I have to remove you from the role you're playing in my life currently. And it's actually an act of love. Yeah, You're not loving them any less, but right now the place they're holding, what they're pouring into your life is causing uh, – it's toxic. It's causing pain. It's causing hardship. It's causing you to be bitter towards them. And you're not getting out of the friendship what you need. And so in a sense, you can say, I, in order for me to love you – I will. I can still love you totally, but you can. But but you can have a different role and title in my life, and that's okay. Yeah. And so I think it's totally okay to say this friendship needs to be cut off for the sake of the friendship, 
for the sake of what it is currently, but I can still call them, you know, a casual friend. I can still pray for them. I can still, when I see them, I'm polite. I'm, I'm loving them, but it might not be the same depth as what it is now. That's how, how I would. Yeah. And I think, you know, there's, there's a, a couple different concepts that are overlapping that I think it's just helpful <clears throat> to name. Yeah. Like there's your relationship to the person, mm. there's your love for the person. And then there's sort of like the niceties yeah. that, you know, mm. so, so I think sometimes in these, context of toxicity or like, Hey man, I, I feel like I need to set some boundaries, but I don't want to just fall into this self-centered transactional mm. love, but I feel like I kind of need to protect myself because it's not a safe situation. Like, so, so yeah. some of those sorts of things, yeah. like you may have to change your relationship to that person. Like, mm -hmm. Hey, maybe, you, you know, if, if there's a safety question or if there are some of those things going on, yeah, maybe change the way that you're behaving around that person or maybe the, maybe you need to not be around them for a little while. That doesn't. That's not necessarily unloving. Mm -hmm. That's a change in the relationship. That's a change in how you're yeah. behaving. Yeah. But it, you can maintain a spirit of grace. You can be mm -hmm. doing it in love mm -hmm. to try to protect them from sin, to try to protect yourself from harm. Like I don't think yeah. Jesus is saying, you know, be dumb and run into like every situation where you're just going to end up getting hurt. I think he's saying, be considerate of, yeah, of one yeah. another and don't, <clears throat> you know, merely look into your own self-interest. And then a lot of times the niceties, you know, people can be like, well, I don't want to say that because it's, it mm -hmm. feels unloving. Well, okay. But there are times where the loving thing to do is to tell someone something that's going to be painful for mm -hmm. them. Like, you know, Hey, Charlie, I'm really sorry to say this, but when you said that to me, that actually, mm hurt me deeply and yeah. like i'm not trying to make you feel bad i just want to communicate well mm -hmm. because i value this relationship you know some of those kinds mm -hmm. of conversations or, or even something like i feel like we're heading in a different direction yeah and so i would love for us to you know maintain a casual friendship but we're heading in different directions and that's okay right, right? exactly yeah and that's some of the mm -hmm. because i think in, in both of our sermons like whether it's talking about the contracts or for me i spent a lot of time talking about this transactional loving is not other centered. It's not mm -hmm. unconditional. It's mm -hmm. the opposite of those things. Yeah. And that's, that's wrong. And it's yeah. going to be damaging mm -hmm. when you have all these expectations. There's a counterpoint to all of that, which is sort of the counterpoint of accountability of, of having healthy, healthy boundaries. Yeah. Because if you're never allowed to hold people's feet to the fire, then I think some of these relationships that God wants for us within the church even are impossible mm. to have. Mm -hmm. You know, mm. I, I think those, some of the most loving conversations I've had with people have been some of the, what on the front end were some of the hardest conversations mm. where it's like, they were telling me things that were hard to hear, but that I needed to yeah. hear. Or for me telling them things that were hard to hear, mm -hmm. but that were mm. absolutely necessary to, mm -hmm. to share. Yeah. Um, so like in those, those accountability contexts mm -hmm. or those healthy boundaries contexts, there can still be wisdom there. Yeah. But there's a, but, but we still want to maintain a, a spirit of grace, a spirit of doing things in their best interest. Yeah. Um, so that, that was one thing that I, yeah. One, one of the things you about. said, one of the things you said was interesting about the difference between the, the love and the relationship. Um, <laughs> it segues to a question I have for you. Um, Jesus modeled that. And, because we see Jesus, did Jesus love Nicodemus? Yes. Did he love the, the centurion? Yes. Did he love Zacchaeus? Yes. Did he love, I mean, you go right down the line, all these people that he met with or that you see him interact with. Yes. Did he still have his 12? Well, yes. Did he still have 
his inner circle, right? Yes, the three, right? We see that Jesus, like Jesus wasn't communing and having intimate conversations, relationships with every person he loved and came in contact with, but yet he still showed love and compassion and mercy on all the people he came in contact mm. with. And yeah. So you're right. There can be differences in relationships. That's how we're wired. That's what, how we're created. We're not created to be able to handle a deep relationship with everybody we come in contact with. And that's okay. Right. right? So then one of the things that you really drove home in your message was, you know, Jesus setting the example on, on this. So I gave one example of like what he did when he was physically here on earth, but what are some other ways when you think about unconditional non-transactional love? Like what are some other ways that Jesus sets the example that we can follow in your mind? Yeah. I, I think for me, the, the absolute biggest example, um, is what it talks about in Hebrews 12, which is where I closed the sermon, mm. which it was while he was on earth. But you, you were talking about in the context of these relationships where he, 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 he was able to yeah. love, but also have different kinds of relationships. Correct. I, that was talking more about his day-to-day relationships with humans is what I was referring to. But in, in, uh, in Hebrews 12 is sharing how Jesus is, I love the language in the NIV, it says the pioneer and the perfecter yes. of our faith. Mm. That pioneer language is just so, mm. sometimes it's translated, he's the trailblazer, yeah. like that kind of idea, where Jesus is, uh, th- this is kind of how I close my sermon, by talking about how when we sacrifice for the sake of love, when we sacrifice our own preferences, mm. when we sacrifice our time, when we sacrifice, <clears throat> um, you know, our right to get something in return, uh, we're following a well-worn path of believers who have been following the example of Jesus ultimately in the mm. cross. Mm-hmm. And so I, mm-hmm. I don't know if I brought it up in both services, but that moment in the garden where Jesus says, Father, if it's your will, mm. let this cup mm. pass from me. And then he makes the transition to saying, but not my will, but yours be done. Mm-hmm. That to me is one of the ultimate examples of choosing self-sacrificially mm-hmm. to love. Mm-hmm. And Jesus makes this decision to know, you know, even though I'm not going to, I'm not going to get a whole lot out of this, yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. which in, in like in some ways I think. Jesus did what did Jesus have to gain from going to the cross right it was for the joy set before him but like he himself was sacrificing his life and he could have lived forever in heaven um mm. you know Jesus as a part of the godhead is a self-sufficient being mm-hmm. so he did not need us <laughs> so mm. like he wasn't yeah. gaining something that he needed by going yeah. to the cross yeah. but he was gaining something that he wanted by pursuing us so to me, that's that's the the chief example is Christ's sacrifice uh, yeah. on the cross, um, and that that I think is the powerful thing. You know, sometimes we talk about atonement theory. Um, sometimes, you know, yeah, sometimes, <laughs> once in a while, uh, and we can we can you know we're like you know penal substitutionary atonement type boys. Uh, or we talk about Christus Victor, Victor for getting like exotic, you know, yeah. But there's all these other theories of the atonement that have to do with Christ as the exemplar. Like, how, in what sense did Jesus um, save us? <clears throat> in, in one sense, the atonement <laughs> has to do with him paying the penalty of sin. Yeah. You know, that might be the mm-hmm. the uh, penal substitutionary mm-hmm. atonement. He he takes the wrath of God onto himself, and he he uh, you know as a result we're we're free from the penalty of our sin. He and that you could also say, man, he he defeats the enemy. 
he 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 conquers the power of sin and death mm. on the cross. He's the victor. He 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 wins a victory for us over mm. sin and death, yeah. so that we can win a victory in His name, um, or we can follow Him in that victory. But then there's all these other theories that have to do with well, and what's in what sense did Christ save us? Well, He set an example for us yeah. in how we live. Sometimes they're called subjective views of the atonement, mm-hmm. and a lot of people dismiss them out of hand. But in the context of talking about love and Jesus's example in mm-hmm. love, this is where I feel like these other atonement views, they're helpful to have in the back pocket yeah, because they can add a lot of color to our appreciation for what happens on the cross. You know, mm-hmm. It's not just mm-hmm. a convenient math error. <laughs> it's, not, it's not just like, yeah. oh, really glad that happened. So now we don't have to deal with that headache. Yeah. It's also like, no, no, this is an example that we should follow mm-hmm. in. Yeah. Yeah. I've heard it said recently in a book I was reading, it was like, in order for us to truly live resurrection lives we we have to be willing to live crucified lives yes mm-hmm. it's very similar um this is a good question uh thinking about the garden how jesus said take this cup from me what if you don't want to love what if it's so hard what if you're caught in that situation where you are the one who is experiencing hurt and pain and the person isn't deserving of love by all human accounts like and you just don't, you want in your, your flesh absolutely wants to withhold love and you just cannot love that. You just are struggling. What, what do you say to that person? Because uh, we would be re- remiss to not mention that, that there are people that are just like, I just don't sure. want to. For sure. I mean, that, cause there are sins in my life that like, if I'm being honest, there are times I'm like, I know it's wrong, but I still want to do it. I don't want to give this up. Sure. In my flesh. Right. It's the goldfish. And, it's the goldfish. Yeah. I don't want to give this up. You know, I don't want to give up goldfish. And so, you know, I, yeah, I think, I think when it comes to those sorts of situations, it, it, to me, it's, it's feels a little bit similar to if you had a person who was like, Hey man, you need to go to the hospital. And the person's like, well, I don't want to go to the hospital. And you're like, dude, you are bleeding all over the place. We like, we got it. Please get in the ambulance, please. Mm-hmm. And the person's like, no, I, I refuse. I refuse care. It's like, well, mm-hmm. you're, like you're, this is not going to go well for you. Like you, you can, you can refuse care. You can stay at home, but you, you're doing so to your own detriment. Yeah. And I think when, when we, when we allow the enemy and then we, we, when we allow sin to get a foothold in our hearts, by saying, no, I'm going to hold on to bitterness or I'm going to hold on to my apathy. There's some really strong warnings in the text for folks who mm-hmm. are who find themselves in those places. Yeah. You know, if you read the seven letters to the seven churches in the book of Revelation, um, I can't remember off the top of my head, but there's one of the churches Jesus talks about um, like they're, they're lacking of zeal or they're, they've, they've uh, let go of their first love, like these ideas that we need to be called back into mm. zeal. We need to call back, be mm. called back into um, our our attentiveness to what Jesus is calling us to. Because if we're not careful, that apathy, that well, I just really don't want to. It, it's it's a disease that will grow into sin mm. in our hearts. And so, for me, I would treat it like I, I, I would I would encourage the person, you know, for your own good. Ask God to change that. Yeah. Ask God to breathe his love into mm-hmm. you. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and especially if, if it's, I don't want to love them because of what they did to me, or I don't want to love them like, because I, I can't forgive them for something. 
you know, now we're talking about bitterness yeah. and harboring unforgiveness. That's, you know, the age old quote of you're drinking poison, expecting the other person to die. Not only are you sinning by withholding forgiveness, but you're also, mm -hmm. um, you know, missing an opportunity to grow and become more like Christ by yeah. walking in, in that path. Yeah. And if you're struggling with hate for somebody, you know, you just hate them for what they did. I think sometimes it's rooted in like, I, th I often think of Jeffrey Dahmer, like just sick murderer, you know, mass murderer. And the fact that he got saved because a, a pastor went to prison and shared the gospel with him. And like, man, Lord, I, I pray that I could have the kind of love that I could go share the gospel with a man like that. Yeah. And it's just it, within us, we're like, he deserves to burn for what he did, right? And like, that's what we feel in our, like, we're all fired up in our justice. And it's like, yeah, so do I. I deserve to burn for what I've that's done. That's right. right. And so I think a really practical thing is that if you're struggling to love somebody, start praying for them. For sure. It's really hard to dislike somebody. It's hard to hate somebody and not care for somebody and be angry at somebody if you're praying for them. Like, it's really hard to keep that up. So I think a great first step, if you can't talk to somebody because you're so hurt and you just like, cannot figure out how to love them, just start praying for them. And a lot of times what happens when you pray for somebody is you it's, – it's a recognition of their humanity. It's a yeah. recognition of, man, they're – you know, there's more going on here than just they're a bad person who's evil mm -hmm. and that sort of thing. Like even because like you could pray for them like some imprecatory psalms, you know, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and like that would be. Yeah, you're right. Uh, but what did Jesus pray when people were when they were persecuting or when they were killing him? Forgive them, Father. They exactly, know not what exactly. they do. He prayed for his, his in that moment. Yeah. By all rights, they are his enemy. And he said, forgive them, Father. Right. They know not what they do. Yeah. And, and that's, you know, obviously referencing just the text right before the golden rule where Jesus says, uh, you know, pray, pray for those who, mm -hmm. yep. you know, for, for your enemies, do mm -hmm. good to them, these sorts mm -hmm. of things. Um, yeah, that, that recognizing their humanity, recognizing that um, because we are saved by grace, we need to, in order to get to a place of forgiveness, we, we need to wish that their sins are also paid for on the cross and not yeah. by them. Um, mm. You know, th th those sorts of like s shifts that you can make in your mind. Mm -hmm. uh, prayer is super helpful for that because it humanizes that person. It, it helps you to empathize, empathize with that person. And that's, I think, a part of the genius, as I put it, of the golden rule yeah. is you're, you're thinking, well, how would I, how would I want to be loved? Because in the, uh, in the ESV, especially it, it talks about, the phrasing of the golden rule is that which you wish others would do to you, do so to others, which mm -hmm. that reflects the word order of the Greek. Yeah. So the first idea is <clears throat> how you, how you wish that you were mm -hmm. treated. Mm -hmm. um, and then, then that causes you to think about, okay, yeah. So I know what it feels like to be loved. That person probably would like to be loved. So how can I do that? That sort of thing for them. Um, and I think you have to, you have to trust that there's grace as you learn and as sure. you figure this out. Um, and so you can trust too, that God's going to fill that love gap where you fall short in love. Like God is abounding in love. So we can revel in that truth and say, <clears throat> Lord, I'm, I'm trying and I want to take that first step, but I'm still harboring bitterness. I'm still struggling, <clears throat> you know, continue to meet me where I am, continue to fill in the love gap in that, in, in my relationships in where I'm struggling with this and 
help me in my sanctification process become more like you in one specific way, and that's loving this person that's hard to love or whatever. Yeah. Um, and, and not, th- and not, not yeah. feeling like, uh, I guess what I'm getting at is we don't have to feel woe is me or also feel like we are failing God as we're growing. God's Absolutely. not saying, I'm so disappointed with you. You can't, you don't get this love thing. Like, wow. And that's the whole concept of spiritual <clears throat> breathing from mm-hmm. you that, that Jim loves to talk about is this idea that you don't have, like, <clears throat> you cannot just endlessly give mm-hmm. line. You know, like yeah. if you think of, I, I thought of this example, I didn't use it in my sermon, but when I was um, prepping, sometimes uh, I'll go down with my brothers and my dad and we'll go fishing in the keys. And so when you're deep sea fishing, mm. if you're trolling, a fish will come in and take the take the line. And when you're fishing like in a pond, the first thing you do is set the hook and you start reeling in because you you don't want the fish to get away. You don't want the line to snap. Yeah. In deep sea fishing, you set the hook and then you just let them run mm. because you cannot fight that fish. So you just let them. You just say take line, take line, let them take line, and you keep your you know you you want to make sure the line's not getting tangled. But you just let them run, and your your rods have just thousands, you know, hundreds and hundreds of feet of line on them. And so there's this idea that you can let them take line, but eventually, like if you get a, a massive tuna on on the on the hook, you they, you can't let them take line forever. Now, thankfully, they don't because they get tired, and that's when you start fighting them. But in these relationships, you know, we only have so much line to give we're we're finite creatures yeah and so you can't just let people walk all over you Mm. eternally unless you're connected to an infinite source that's right and so that's where that Mm. that idea of spiritual breathing that idea of i need to be poured into i need god's grace in my Mm. life that is the and this is you know when i i I said in at least one of the services the only reason this makes sense is because of jesus yeah. If I didn't say it, I had that in my manuscript. The reason I can say that is because give, endlessly giving line mm-hmm. is exhausting. It's impossible, humanly speaking, mm-hmm. because if we're just operating in this like system of scarcity, man, I don't have enough. What is going to happen to me? I'm going to starve. I'm going to. Mm-hmm. I, I won't have enough for mm-hmm. myself, and then mm-hmm. I'm going to die. Yeah. But if we're operating in a system where the spirit of Christ is living in me. And he's ministering to me and he's pouring his love into me hmm. that really, so then I'm, I'm not really giving out of myself when I'm self-sacrificially loving. Yeah. I'm actually giving out of the love that God has poured into me. Mm-hmm. And so I can, I can be full, even though I'm being poured out like a drink offering. It's that, that rhythm of, of coming back to yeah. the well, um, which is why I, I think it's important to point to Jesus whenever we're talking about ethical living because mm-hmm. it's draining and we, yeah. we don't have what it takes unless Christ is pouring into mm-hmm. us. So that's absolutely, if you're, if you're feeling depleted um, or you're feeling like, man, I, I just don't know how I can make this work because I, mm. especially if it's like a long-term relationship, yeah. like a marriage or like a, a good friendship that you're committed to or a work relationship that you're like, I can't easily get out mm. of this. Um, asking for God's grace in the yeah. midst of that mm. to fill you up, to give you his love for that person so that you have something mm-hmm. to selflessly mm. pour out, even mm. though it's going to be costly. It's good. Um, mm. Yeah, man. Mm. Fishing in the keys, dude. Something else. Do you get, do you get seasick? I have before, <clears throat> but I don't normally. I have a brother who does, and we I do. we tell jokes about it. I you try, get seasick. Really? You're such an outdoorsman, Charlie. I, I, I'm, I'm put me on a mountain. Altitude sickness doesn't bother me. 
put me on a mountain, my feet firmly planted. But if I'm in the air too much or if I'm in the water, especially the water when the, when the boat's going like this. Yeah. Uh, I have to ask Rachel sometime about when I went scuba diving. <laughs> Tried to go scuba diving. My ears wouldn't I couldn't my couldn't get my ears to pop. So I couldn't get I couldn't go down. Oh I, just, I couldn't get down. I could I kept trying to get my 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 ears to pop and they wouldn't pop. And I was pushing hard, pushing hard, pushing hard. And then like I pushed so hard that my like my crystals, my ears uh, and all of a sudden like I'm climbing up the rope in the water like this. And like the whole world's going sideways and I'm like trying to climb up to the surface. Oh my god. And then I get up on the surface and the whole thing's like this and I crawl up on the boat. And I just like I'm just laying there, and like and like the whole world's like spinning upside down, and then all of a sudden it comes right to, and I'm like, and then I just start just puking over the edge of the boat. Oh my gosh! For the next, everyone else is down there. She goes, I'm just like, <laughs> just over the boat. Just, yeah, we so divert. We divert. I don't know what that's. That wasn't very loving of me. I'm sorry. To, no, it's to okay. I, so like, are you able to like go on Cedar Point rides? I love I love roller coasters. Okay, anything spinny. And generally speaking, boats are fine. It's when boats stop for a long time, sure. And they and and I'm doing something else, and they they start doing this. Yeah, you? that's yeah. when it really gets to me. So you're not? Are you not a fisher? I'm not a fisherman. Interesting. I'm really not. Like I, I, I would not have guessed that. I'll go out once in a while. Um, I have way too many hobbies to be a fisherman. <laughs> I never got into it. Like I never really yeah. like. I think I like to just shoot what I'm going after. You know. Harpoon guns, dude. There you go. Yeah, maybe I, I could. I think you. I think I could get into harpooning or bow fishing. I think I could really get into bow fishing. Okay, that, that would be fun. But like casting a line, like I guess like what I grew up around, like there are like white bass fishing off like on on Lake Erie when the white bass fit are hit. That's really fun, dude. The, the flutter again. Oh no. When uh, you can't, but like that, you like literally cast, and as fast as you can reel in, you're reeling in bass. Yeah, so, so that's what deep sea fishing at its best. <clears throat> you're not doing a whole lot of sitting around. It's a lot of trolling, and then when you get something on, we could we could talk. See, about this I think I would enjoy that more. But like sitting at a pond for for bass and like reel and let the bobber. Go. Yeah, I know, dude. We oh, and dude, it, twenty miles out, halfway to Cuba, and then like dude. catching mahi. Wow, it's man. Like, that's the stuff. I, I I could enjoy that. I think I I would give it a shot. Yeah, I I would I would I need like other people to guide me to do it. But it's like take once some you're dramamine and go. Oh yeah, I'll, dude, it's so much. Wear my C bands. I'll be set. <laughs> yeah. Anyhow, we get um, back to the text. <laughs> yeah. Let me see. We've got probably time for one more question. So. So. In that second section of the text, Jesus repeats this phrase, even sinners do that. Uh, or, you know, mm. what good is it if you love those who love you, even sinners do that. Mm -hmm. We both kind of shared about, so, so when, I was, when I was preaching about that, I was, I was talking about how this kind of love that's more transactional, it comes naturally to the world. Why does it come naturally to the world? Because it's self-focused yeah. and it doesn't take... Uh, you know, you you don't have to be pursuing holiness to act in self-interest. Mm -hmm. uh, that's mm -hmm. just the fallen human condition is we look out for ourselves. We try to survive. And so that, you know, you would expect to find that kind of love rampant in the world. Yeah. How did you kind of frame that kind of concept in your sermon? Even sinners did that. Um, I think I, I was picturing the, 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 the crowd gathering around. 
mm-hmm. and hearing Jesus say the golden rule, which they all would have heard and probably understood or known, <laughs> and then hearing phrases, yeah, like, well, if you love those who love me, and, and they're like, oh, yeah, well, yeah, okay, I do that. Well, what good is that to you? And he's like, wait, what? Like, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that, right? Mm-hmm. It, I was picturing that the um, that they like would have been hearing this for the first time and saying, "Wait, wait, wait, what? Like, wait, wait, wait." So you're saying calling me to love? Well, yeah, I love people, but you're but you're calling me to something different, and actually adding adding some depth to the golden rule. That's yeah. one thing that's interesting about the golden rule and about Jesus is that he uses a common phrase, but I think he does it on purpose because now he wants to flip the narrative on it and add depth to it. Sure, and so. Um, you are, I, I also, when I think he keeps using that sinner thing because then, cause I preached a couple extra verses there at the end, he's making a, a juxtaposition between two things, right? That's right. And do you want to identify with sinners in your love or do you want to identify with something greater with Christ in your love? Mm-hmm. And so he keeps using that sinner thing because that transactional love that he mentions that's that's what's fleshly. That's that's the kind of love that's connected to our survival, to our flesh. It's what's rooted in our sin nature. Um, and in that sense, it's natural. It's natural. And it's how everyone else is doing it. Right. And so in a sense, if you want to stand out as different, here is how we can be different in how we love. And so I think that's why he kept saying even sinners do that, even sinners do that. And, but I'm not calling you to be sinners. I'm not calling you to live like sinners. What I'm calling you to is very radical very different, unnatural, if you will, and impossible apart from the power of Christ within us. It's truly impossible to love in an unconditional way without the Spirit, Holy Spirit guiding us. Hmm. And, th- and that's that's why it's so counter to, it's so countercultural to at the, at the time. Jesus is saying, I'm, I'm, lo- I'm loving and I'm teaching you how to love in such a way that only the Spirit's work in your life can bring forth that love in its truest sense. Yeah, because our because our flesh is so strong, and we're always getting hurt, and we're always struggling, and we're always reeling back from something that happened, and letting that impact how we treat people around us. So that's kind of what I did with it, I guess. I'm yeah, not very man. good at short answers. Neither are you. So I'm a good company. <laughs> that's how, that's how we have a podcast. That's you know? Right. Yeah. Um, yeah, man. I I just I think that's that's a helpful thing for us to remember that this this sort of love is it just does does not come naturally and so you shouldn't expect it to be this thing that just you know Mm -hmm. without any effort Mm -hmm. just sort of pops up in your life yeah that's why my my, the title of my sermon was choosing jesus's Mm -hmm. kind of love yeah and at the beginning i was i was kind of unpacking the golden rule and describing that love Mm -hmm. and then you know, kind of raising some questions about how that applies to those close to us. And then the, the point of my sermon was to challenge people, choose this kind of love. Yeah. Because it's not going to happen by accident. That's right. Um, Can I see the Bible real quick? I mean, sure. The Holy Word. Thank you. Um, so one thing that I kind of pulled out a little bit is um, then your reward will be great in in and you will be children of the most high because he is kind to the ungrateful and wicked. Is that verse 36? Uh, 35. Okay. Be merciful just as you were. My father's merciful. That's verse 36. But verse 35 was interesting about that verse. Um, and thinking about even sinners do that, right? Is a reminder that 
who are the ungrateful and the wicked? Hmm. That was us. Yeah. So we, <laughs> we did love like that at one point. Mm-hmm. And he's calling us out of something. It's not, okay, you have two choices. Here's two groups of people. Which one are you going to choose? He's saying, no, that's where you were. That's who you were. But because of Christ, we now have been changed. And we once were those people that Jesus even even says that God himself was kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. He was loving to us first when we were, when we were sinners. But, also, but in another way, it's reminding us that that love, that sin love that the sinners show was the love that that's all that we could do. That was all we had the capacity for. Yeah. But now through the Spirit's work in us, we have a capacity for a new kind of love. And that's what he's calling us to. So that was an interesting kind of connection that I, that I saw there in, yeah, in the man. text. But. Yeah, and I think that's maybe that's a good place to end, just recognizing that. And this is one of the things I said right at the beginning of my exposition of the text is I, I, I said uh, this is one of those times where the teaching of Jesus is so clear. You almost wonder if unpacking it is going to do more harm than good because mm. we might just explain it away. We might just yeah. get so interested in thinking about what it means that we don't that we don't feel the the need to wrestle with it and mm-hmm. follow it. Mm-hmm. And we should be. I believe convicted by the clarity of Jesus's words, mm-hmm. like in this passage, because we, none of us is, you know, has the corner, has cornered the market yeah. on loving self-sacrificially. That's yeah. something we're all going to struggle with and continue to struggle with. Mm-hmm. But the excuse is not, the, the, the response is not to make excuses for it. The mm-hmm. response is to say, okay, so how, how can I do this more faithfully? Well, number one, just like you were just saying, recognize how God has loved you. Yeah. Number two, recognize how Jesus has set the example. Number three, recognize how Jesus would want you to love that person by, yeah. re- by doing that reflective work, humanizing them, thinking about you practicing empathy. And then number four, receiving God's grace, receiving his love to then choose to do it. And the power of the spirit within you for that. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And so that's, that's where, yeah, you know. It's so good, man. I think it's a it's a it's a fun conversation to have, and it, it raises even a bunch of stuff that we didn't even get to talk about. But yeah, at the end of the day, what what we should be taking away is do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, he he's calling us to love, and he's giving us the tools and the blueprint on how to do it. Yeah, and so it's possible mm-hmm. because of Christ, we can do it. Right, and that we can be encouraged by that. That no matter how hard your situation is. You always can love in that situation because he's paved the way, like you said, and uh, he's given us all we need to be able to do it. Yeah, man. Yeah. Well, uh, with that being said, we're going to go ahead and wrap it up here. And uh, thanks you guys so much for joining us for this episode mm-hmm. of The Cutting Room Floor. We, we love having these conversations and getting to bring you into them. Uh, if you haven't checked us out yet, check us out on YouTube. We got a new little podcast studio <laughs> going on. And so you can check it out. Uh, we post these episodes to YouTube uh, whenever we're, we're, we're able to. Uh, give us a little like. Give us a little subscribe. You know, all, all the stuff that you, the YouTubers tell you to do that I don't have memorized. Click the bell. All that sort of thing. It all helps. Just helps us to know mm-hmm. that you're... Uh, finding these conversations helpful, interesting, that you're receiving them, that God is using them in your life to 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 help you become more and more like Christ. And th- that's mm-hmm. the goal for these conversations. So mm-hmm. we love you. We're praying for you. And we'll see you next time. Thanks so much for joining us for this episode of the Open Door Cutting Room Floor Podcast. 
But don't let the conversation end here. Find a group where you can deepen your roots at connect.opendoor.tv. And don't forget to submit your questions to podcast.opendoor.tv. Have a great week, and we'll see you Sunday.